the anxiety and stress that I felt about thinking about continuing on working in the environment I, I was in was greater. It became greater than the fear and anxiety I had of launching on my own. Are you looking to escape your full-time job? Do you feel stuck, strapped for time, and don't know where to start? Well, you're in the right place because this is the Leaving Corporate Podcast where we talk with regular people that left their job by building a business and a life they love. Now here's your host, your corporate escape chaperone, Greg Hickman. What's up, escape artists? I hope all is well and I hope you're and still enjoying the episodes and you know, you're okay with me kind of mixing around, playing with the uh, two, you know, two part episodes, and now you know this week and last week with the the one part. Um, have some updates coming for you when it comes to the show. Some new things we're going to be working on. Um, so stay tuned for that. But today we have Josh Brown on the show, and Josh, after years of struggling with the decision of whether he should launch his own law firm or whether. Uh, within the confines of other law firms, he was finally able to overcome his own insecurities and fears and launch his own practice. Practice And doing so, he says, was the best decision of his professional career. So we're going to dive into that story today. I hope you enjoy, and I will catch up with you after this conversation. Josh, thanks so much for joining us, man. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Greg. Thrilled to be on here. I love what you're doing with this podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. So as you know, um, we're going to dive into all of the things that, that you're doing right now, but you weren't always necessarily an entrepreneur. You've been in law for a long time. You, you went to law school, I'm assuming, and yes. you, you, you worked at a, a law firm for somebody else, correct? Yeah, I've actually worked at um, a few different law firms. I've worked for an appellate judge, um, so I've kind of I've run the gamut. Cool. So um, when it comes to law, so we actually haven't had anyone that has kind of gone through the kind of more structured career path on the show yet, like, like, like you have. So I mean, like you've got, you went to law school, right? So I mean, it's a pretty structured thing. Like you graduate from college and then you go to law school, right? Yeah. So what I did, I did, yeah, I went to law school, which is definitely structured. I, I was a, a non-traditional student, meaning that I graduated undergrad in 98 and then I actually worked for five years and then went to law school. I grew up with a, a family filled with attorneys. And so I grew up around attorneys and I always saw, you know, what, what kind of benefit they add to society, how they can help people. And I always sort of thought to myself, well, I'll probably go to law school at some point. But when I graduated undergrad, I got into um, business management. Um, well, I first got into computer sales at a, at a great company in Chicago uh, that was fantastic. And, uh, and then I got into business management, got into the golf industry, uh, into the business side of it and got to basically, I mean, between undergrad and law school, I lived and I, I traveled. This was all for work, but I lived in uh, Chicago, uh, Illinois. I lived in then Charleston, South Carolina. Then I got sent out to uh, Los Angeles, then Portland, Oregon. And these were all for which company? These were all for a company that, so when I went out to Charleston, I went out there thinking, <laughs> this is kind of an interesting story. So I leave my, I graduate college and I go and work for this great computer sales company called CDW in Chicago. And oh, I think yeah, yeah. they're a great company. And, and actually, what's that? Now, right? what's that? Didn't, aren't they gone now? 
No, no, no. They're a Fortune. No? They're a Fortune. Oh, five, really? Five, Fortune five hundred company now. When I was when I started with them, they were still big, but uh, but a lot smaller than they are right now. And it was an amazing, amazing company. Um, but I was twenty one years old, and I'm sitting there doing inside sales. I met some amazing people. Made a great, did great my first year out of college. Um, and, but then just sort of thought, hey, I just don't want to do this. Um, so. I, I was really into golf and I decided, well, I think I might go down and try to be like a golf pro, not, not a professional playing, but just be sort of golf professional. So I became an assistant golf pro um, at a golf course in Indiana. And then when the wintertime came, it was like, uh, what am I going to do? <laughs> and so a relative of mine lived in Charleston, South Carolina. It's golf central. So I actually went there, stayed with with her and um, and then landed a job in management with a golf company that basically helped high-end, mostly private golf courses start up and then also launch their their caddy program. So I helped um, I helped launch uh, Tom Watson's first golf course in uh, in North America on uh, Kiowa Island called Classique, wow. and that was really cool. And then. Um, and then got transferred out to Los Angeles where Fred Couples and Pete Dye were doing a new course in Simi Valley, which is about 35 minutes outside of Los Angeles. So I lived yeah. there for a while and then and then on to Portland, Oregon. And then I knew I was going to – I sort of thought, thought to myself, well, you know, th- this, this golf thing is great. But uh, I'm always working when everybody else isn't. The hours are, are not what I'm looking for. And there was definitely a cap in what you could do. Um, and, and so I, I honed my golf game, which was great over that period of time. But then, <laughs> then I moved back to, to Indiana and, um, worked for a couple different franchise companies while I was in the process of applying to law school. So did you, so it sounded like you always kind of knew you wanted to go back to law school. Were you feel, did you get any pressure from your family because that, that was kind of the path that they took? I got some, but not not really. I mean, my parents never pressured me. I mean, you know, there's other family members who might say, "Hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to? You should go to law school. You know, you can always do something with that." The real thing that really got me thinking about going back was actually when I was in Charleston, South Carolina, and I read a book that changed my life, um, and that was and Ian Rand's uh, Atlas Shrugged. I don't know if you've read it. Atlas Shrugged? Uh, Atlas Shrugged. Okay. If you have not read it, it is, well, first of all, it's an all-time classic. It's not short. So if you have, I mean, it is, it's probably over a thousand pages. It is an absolute epic. Um, it's a, um, it's just an incredible book on individualism, on entrepreneurialism. I mean, there's so many things you can take from it. But that book, along with another one of her books called The Fountainhead, both of those really changed the course of my life because at the time when I was in the golf business, I really didn't know. Yeah, I knew. I, I kind of thought to myself, yeah, I might, I'll probably go to law school. But I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and it was at that point where I just really said to myself, okay, I got I to gotta take control over my own future and start being more intentional about what I'm doing and kind of get a direction to where I'm going. So I had really started to map things out mm-hmm. while I was working within the golf business, knowing that, okay, how am I going to make this work? How am I going to, 
where am I going to go to law school? How am I going to make all this happen? And so pretty, pretty much putting all that planning together. But it was, it was those two books that really kickstarted it in my own mind because it was a mind shift that I had to go through. Awesome. So, well, let's talk about that mind shift because, I mean, like, wh- where did you think you were before those books and then kind of the way that you thought differently after? You know, I was just kind of going along. You know what I mean? I mean, just kind of like it, it was nothing. It wasn't like I was lost or anything. I mean, I wouldn't say that. I was definitely a, a productive member of society, following a passion, um, figuring out, you, you know, learning a business, learning the golf business. I just, uh, but I was, but I didn't think of it in those terms. I wasn't as, I wasn't thinking, okay, where's this going to take me? It was just more, what is this right now? You know, and I think that those books really got me thinking more internally about, okay, what what do I really want to do? You know, what's my impact going to be? What am I going to do? And you can't wait around for other things to happen to you or for you. I think I sort of made had a mindset of, oh, I'll just go along. I'll work in this business. Things will happen. I'll advance and so on and so forth. But it was really that book that led me to say, you know, you have to take control of your own future. You got to make things happen yourself or nobody else is going to make it happen for you. Right. So um, kind of going into that, so you kind of came out of those books and you you started putting together this plan of, you know, you're going to get ready for law school. Um, so you're probably what, like 27 at this point, 26, 27, five years out of college. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I went to, I started law school when I was 26. Okay. So, all right. So you get into, you get into law school and you know, that's again, pretty structured, um, pretty structured experience. Is that two years, four years? No, law, law school is three years, three years. Okay. So, Coming out of that, I mean, you guys are pretty much set up, right? Like you guys, like with internships and stuff like that, did you go right into the law firm that you started working with right after that? Or how did you kind of find that role? Yeah. So it's funny. It's funny you say you guys are set up. It's not anymore. Not anymore. anymore, Yeah. They used to be. I mean, I I was at a good time. Um, I was before the bottom dropped out. Uh, But no. So, you know, when I went to law school, it, it's just kind of my personality. I'm kind of an all or nothing kind of guy. I mean, it's hard for me to half ass things. I just, it's just not in my nature. So I was just all in when I was in law school. And I mean, I did, um, I, I was, you know, there's a lot of people who go to law school. It's just like college extended. They really don't know what they do. And maybe, you know, mom and dad are footing the bill and you can easily see, you know, who those people are. And, you know, fine. Maybe, you know, they, 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 they figured it out at some point, but I really kind of knew, okay, I'm going to get everything I can out of this. I mean, it was expensive. I'm still paying off the debt. So I didn't just go and take the law classes and, and just study for the classes. And that was it. No, I got involved in everything. I mean, I was on law review. I was on uh, moot court, which you go around and you, I got to travel around the country and give um, arguments and we'd argue. I'd, I was on a team for the school that we would go and argue cases and ended up doing, getting involved in in criminal law clinic and, and filing a, a real world appeal um, that ended up going before the Indiana Supreme Court and I got to argue that case. And I, I really did a lot of things that I didn't know. I didn't know where it was going to lead to, but I put myself in a position to have a lot of 
more experience than just going through law school. Not that that wasn't enough, right? But I just wanted to taste everything. And so I pushed myself really hard. I mean, I, I, gosh, it was, I, I lived in that library at the law school. And yeah, during the summers I had internships and yeah, I had a, I, I had a job lined up and after I graduated, I worked for a firm that had, I don't know, I want to say maybe 60 or 70 attorneys. So in Indiana, it was, it was middle to larger size. Um, and, and really enjoyed the people, never really enjoyed the work. Um, it was more insurance defense work and a lot of big corporate defense work. And then I had an opportunity to um, do an appellate clerkship where you basically go and work for um, a court of appeals judge. And so basically the way that system works, just to break it down simply, is you have the trial court judges, which everybody knows what trial court judges. But everybody has the right to appeal if they lose. And so the second level up is the appellate courts. And then the final level is the Supreme Court, both on a state and national level. So I worked for the intermediate appellate court got to directly work with the judge and and um, that was fantastic and 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 introduced me to to a lot of different things it was then after that where the economy really <laughs> just kind of <laughs> just kind of dropped off and it was sort of like ooh wow there's not as many uh, there's not as many positions as as i thought i mean i had the opportunity to go back to the law firm that i was first with but it wasn't going to be in indiana it was going to be in another city Mm-hmm. And we weren't going to move um, to another city. So that wasn't an option. So I ended up going and, and working for um, another firm for a bit and then had the opportunity to to work for another smaller firm, did that. And it was during that time, after several years of practice, where I just started really thinking to myself, okay, where do I want to build up my practice? And I really learned over my first few years of of practicing law that I really enjoyed working with people. I really enjoyed working with entrepreneurs, with small business owners. And so just slowly but surely, I started building up my own small business clientele. And and then it built it up and literally thought to myself, okay, I'm going to go do this. I mean, I've had this itch to like get out there myself and and go launch a firm. But at this time, I now have I mean, I, I have a wife, and I have a daughter, and I have I have a family I got to think about, mm-hmm. and so I was putting the whole plan together, and I had actually the the employer I was working with hit a small firm. I had actually talked to him. He was getting ready to move into a new location, and I said, "Hey, I think I'm going to launch out on my own, but I'd love to share space with you." So we had worked out the whole deal, the whole arrangement, and I freaked out. I mean, not literally, but I mean, I just had, I had one of those moments where after the whole thing was set up, I thought, oh my gosh, am I ready to do this? Because I didn't have a full base of clients at that time. Like but, what would, what, how many did you have and what would be a full base? I mean, well, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, I've, I don't even know the number of clients I have right now because it's, it's quadrupled since I actually did go out on my own. But at that time I probably had, I don't know, five to 10 Maybe so. It was it was something, but it certainly wasn't something that was gonna gonna be full right off the bat, right? So there was there was that risk um, element, or or even that added fear because I have mouths to feed, mm-hmm. um, and and so what happened was I ended up start. I talked with another law firm that basically said I told them my vision for how I wanted to focus on you know franchise law and entrepreneurs and how I had this 
blog that I was doing and how I wanted to do a podcast. And I laid out my whole vision. And Strum said, oh, yeah, we love it. Come on. So I worked out. So in this, a, was, this was someone different than, when, than the other guy that you just said. Hey, yeah. Space. Yeah. So, yeah. So I basically had said, so I'm talking to this other firm and trying to decide and um, literally going back and forth. Um, and, you know, my wife was basically saying, look, I fully support you. I think you can do this thing on your own, but do whatever you want to do. Well, I ended up. I ended up basically backing out of going out on my own then. I thought, oh, they have other resources at this other firm and I can just build my practice and it's going to be all hunky-dory and everything's going to be great. And, and, and so I went, I went with the other firm. And um, that started off amazingly well. You know, it was, everything was great. All, you know, the clients I had came with me. I added a few more clients. Uh, but slowly but surely, I just became dissatisfied. Why do you think that was? Well, I think part of it was, and I realize this now looking back throughout all of my jobs, is I just really kind of like to do things my own way. <laughs> um, I'm definitely more progressive as an attorney than most attorneys are, um, especially especially a lot of the ones at, at more established type firms. And so, um, and I just sort of felt that the things that, that we had talked about and worked out ahead of time that, okay, this is what I'm going to do and, and this is what I'm going to do, slowly but surely, if, if, if they didn't like what I was doing, they were sort of pressuring me to go their way. And I had made it very clear. I said, hey, look, you know, I'm going to be doing this blog. I'm going to be doing a podcast. I understand if you guys don't support what I'm doing on the blog, I'll pay for it myself. You know, but I want to have you, the final control. Right. When you, um, you said you were sort of like ready to, to take the leap, but then you went with this other firm. Like what was it? Was it the, your kind of fear for going out on your own before, that made you go end up going to this firm? Or you mentioned they had like a lot of resources, but like, I mean, Oh, it was so. It was. It was total fear. It was total fear. It was total fear. Your wife was encouraging it, and then what was what was the reason that kind of came back to that conversation when you're like, oh, you know, I was going to do this, but now I'm going to go work with these guys. The reason was that I had negotiated a nice pay structure, <laughs> and so <laughs> you know, it takes you back the whole you know that I guess the imposter syndrome or whatever you want to call it, where it's like you pops in and you just it's it's just what I was used to. I mean, look, I mean, I you know, I was making nice money, um, was making six figure money, doing well, had, you know, sort of had, could have gone many different directions, but I always in every, in every firm and including this other firm always got to a point like, I mean, this, the, it started off so great with this other firm. I mean, they were talking about making me a partner in a year or so time, assuming everything else went well and it was, you know, going to be hunky dory and it just, I just lost interest. Um, and looking back, it's because I've been an entrepreneur the whole time. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and so you can't, I didn't realize that then, even then I didn't realize, I, mean, I kind of knew I had those tendencies, mm -hmm. but I thought for sure I can, I can fit this in, into that, into that mold. And I probably could have made it work, but what happened ultimately that led to me finally breaking away, it was two things. First of all, my, my wife got tired of hearing me complaining about it. And, and she said, just do it for goodness sake. Go do it. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? The worst thing that's going to happen is you fail and you go back to another firm, right? I mean, that's not really that bad. Um, and then, but the, that along with, 
the anxiety and stress that I felt about thinking about continuing on working in the environment I, I was in was greater. It became greater than the fear and anxiety I had of launching on my own. And once that happened, it was like, okay, time to do it. Now, when you had gone to this firm originally, you had talked about doing the blog and the podcast. Was that, I mean, that sounded like something they were on board with, but then you said you were going to pay for it. Um, is that the same blog that you have now? Yeah, yeah, it's the same one. So was there, was there any issue with sort of like going into that, setting that up so that, you know, if you were to leave, that it was still yours? Because I know that there's people listening that, you know, they might be in similar situations, maybe not in a law firm, but, you know, they're, they, they started something on the side maybe, and they have the ability to bring that into an organization um, as, you know, an asset, uh, you know, get, get to support and resources from that organization to really build something up. But knowing that they might be trying to take that with them when they leave, like, was there any sort of deal on the table about the ownership of that, of that content? No, because I dealt with it before I even went there. That was one thing that I was very, very clear on. I said, no matter what happens at the end of the day, and, and we had it in writing and everything, this blog, and anything that I'm doing, you know, relating to this blog and my eventual podcast, if that launches, that's mine. And we acknowledge that that is completely mine. And so there was no issues there. And I don't want to paint a bad picture of the firm. The firm, oh, yeah, great yeah. people. I'm still friends with a lot of them. Um, I mean, all of them that I were. It just, what, what happens is, is you just can't, you know, I just couldn't suppress who I was anymore, you know. And, and I just, my, I just don't fit in in a place like that from a, I, from, just from what I want to accomplish. I mean, it has nothing to do with personality or anything like that. It just happens to be that I want to do things a little bit differently. And um, so I guess the important lesson would be for somebody who's thinking about that is definitely lay that out up front because there can certainly be issues. I mean, if I hadn't, if I hadn't taken the time to very clearly lay that out, there probably could have been. And arguably, the law firm could have said, hey, well, you know, that's ours. You know, yeah, you got to come up absolutely. with something different. I fully got that out on the table um, good, before good. I even, before I even worked there. But it was a it was a great learning experience. I mean, and through the and through working there, I, I added more clients. And it's like I was telling my wife, I, I said, you know, a part of me says I should have just launched when I initially wanted to, but I will say this: that gave me the last bit of confidence that I needed to really make the jump. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, it was Absolutely. like I was really, really ready at that time. And before I sort of had the, uh, I don't know, I'm one foot in this day, then the next day I'm, I'm out. And, and once I saw that, okay, wow, my clients came with me. I'm building more clients. I'm doing all my own work at this other firm. So I'm not doing anybody else's work. That kind of led me to believe like I could really, it gave me the confidence um, to do it. And so from that perspective, it was really a great move for me. I mean, even though sometimes I'll say to myself, wow, you know, I could have been that much further along if I had just, if I had jumped earlier. I tend to not think that way. I truly believe that, you know, things, uh, you know, I look at the bright side of it. I look at the positive that came out of it and it really did give me um, some great confidence to then go launch my own venture. Now, I mean, it seemed like you had to kind of everything lined up. I mean, your wife was on board. You were 
like, you know, your mindset had shifted, you felt ready. Um, everything was kind of falling, falling into place here that you were ready to make this transition. What was, how did that transition take place? Like from a conversation standpoint of talking to the, the firm that you were with at that time, were you starting to take clients on your own on the side or how did, how does, how did that really work? So what happened was, is I just started going in less and less. I started working more from home, which I had the flexibility to do. Um, and they sort of realized as well that, wow, we were on this great path and now it's kind of looks like Josh is checking out a little bit and trying to do more things on his own. And, and, uh, not that I was doing client, I wasn't taking clients on my own. I couldn't do that, but, um, it was just obvious that things had changed. And so, um, they actually approached me. I mean, I give them credit for this and they said, Hey, we can tell you're, you're not happy. <laughs> and I said, you're right. And they said, what do you want to do? I mean, we, I just want, we, we want to, we want to let you know, there's no hard feelings. If you, if you, cause we know you originally wanted to start your own thing. If you want to go start your own thing, don't feel bad about it. You can go do that, which that's I thought awesome. was incredible. Yeah. yeah it, really it speaks cool. to, it speaks to the people at this firm. And the type of people that they were. That took a load off my shoulders because it was stressing me out. Like, oh, how am I going to do this? How am I going to break this news? What, what's going to be the reaction? Um, you know, and, and so that, that allowed me to, to go forward. And we basically said, you know, in the legal field, there's no such thing as a non-compete. So I know on all on all the the, the the shows on TV, you'll see people say, "Oh, well, I did this, but there's a non-compete. I couldn't take my clients." In the real world, you as an attorney can't you, you can't um, you can't have your client sign uh, a, a, or you can't have the attorney the law firm can't have the attorney sign a non-compete because at the end of the day, uh, the client gets to choose, right? Mm -hmm. So. We just had a conversation about They said, look, we're not going to try to take any of your clients. Just go ahead and send the proper notices, notifying them that you're leaving. And obviously, if they want to stay, they can stay with the firm. But all they, they've only worked with you, so I'm assuming they're all going to come with you, which they all did. Um, and so it really was a smooth, it really was a smooth transition. And then, so, I mean, was there any sort of fear, though? I mean, like, I mean, you were making this, you were taking this on yourself. I mean, did you... It makes sense that they all would go with you, um, but was there any sort of doubts in your mind? Like things are going too smoothly in this story. I need to know. I need to know <laughs> where where the fear set in. <laughs> okay, you want to dive? Oh, there was fear every step of the way, Greg. I mean, there, there's not. It was like I said. I mean, what the 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 stress and the the anxiety that I felt going into a firm where I was like I was building to something, but I was having to sacrifice the way I did it, mm -hmm. that became more troubling to me than the fears that I had in launching my own practice. But still, I mean, I had huge, huge fears. I would was say... Your, was your wife concerned? Um, yeah, but she was, she was very supportive. I mean, did, she's... Did, was, did she have an income or anything? Was no, she, no, 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 no. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm the, sole, I'm the okay. sole income generator. So she was at home. She's at home with um, our daughter. We now have a second daughter. Um, but, oh, it was, I mean, the, the fear is this, Greg, it's, it's the idea. It's like, it, it's like that lump in your throat, the waking up in the middle of the night, uh, sweating the, you keep my mind is racing all the time. Okay. I've got these clients are going to come with me, but what happens if the work dries up? What happens if, 
you know, I get done with this work and there's nothing else that comes in. And how am I going to do this? And who's going to help me? And and how am I going to, you know, every how am I going to run this business? And oh my gosh, there was so much fear and so many things racing through my mind. The only thing I could do was act and do it. I had spent years planning around this. I mean, there, there's a friend of mine here who does uh, PR and marketing and he he likes to tell me about that. He goes, Josh, you know, you spent a lot of time formulating in your head and writing down a plan for what you were going to do. And it took years to finally get the, to, to jump and do it. But none of the fears went away. In fact, the, I was talking to another entrepreneur this morning and uh, this particular person is, is just brand new in the process. Mm-hmm. And she was telling me how, man, I just have these, this anxiety. And also I go, if you did not have that anxiety, I would be worried about you. Yeah. In other words, anybody who tells you that there's no fear, oh, yeah, it's just so smooth or whatever. Oh, no, that's total BS. I mean, total BS. So I had so much fear and anxiety, but it drove me. So like fear can either drive you to take action or it can paralyze you. Yeah, and that's and that's the fine line. So some people get paralyzed. I did not. Um, it just forced me to take a lot of action. And and when I say action, I mean really say, okay, who do I have now as clients? What am I doing for them? How can I get it organized? How am I going to structure things? How am I going to get out there and meet with people? It really started forcing me to say, okay, <clears throat> I've got to look at the full picture of the business now. It's not just about me practicing law. Mm-hmm. It's about now- me. Yeah. Um, so you you had clients ready to come with you, essentially, or you're, you believed that you were going to. Like, I mean, what was the financial? What was your financial situation at this point? I mean, people listening are probably like, "Oh, the lawyer who's doing six figures. He probably had plenty in savings." I mean, but you did have a wife um, and kids. So, I mean, what was? And you were still paying off some debt, I'm sure, from school. So. Like, were you, were you financially concerned about this transition? Like, was there money in savings? What, was, what, what did that look like? Yeah, so, yeah, we had uh, some money, but not a ton. I mean, I was paying off a lot of debt from school. I, w- I definitely was, uh, had a good-paying job. There, there's no doubt about that. But when I factored in, you know, personal expenses plus the expenses to run the business, which I was planning and, and obviously have tried to keep low, Oh, there was no doubt about it. I mean, it, there was not that much of a runway for me. Um, I knew I probably had, I don't know, four to six months of a runway. And I was just going to try to, you know, add as much as I could. And then if I had to chip away um, at some savings, then I would do that. But so I, I don't want to leave the wrong impression. I mean, first of all, yeah, people who are thinking that are exactly right. Yeah, I'm, I was an attorney at a firm making good money. Um but I also don't want people to think that I had this huge nest egg <laughs> that I was right, right, sitting right. on. I mean, oh my gosh, not at all. I mean, you know, law school cost me $155,000, okay, that I'm paying back loans on. And that doesn't even, and, and I mean, all sorts of stuff. I had to pay a little bit for undergrad. I'm still paying on. And so it, it doesn't. I think what, what sometimes people lose sight on, it doesn't matter how much money you bring in. It matters how much money you spend, right? Because, right. you know, if, if, if you bring in, you know, $200,000 and you spend $180,000, it's the same thing as bringing in 50 and spending 30. There's no difference. Um, in terms of what you have, you may have be, you be able to accumulate more stuff, 
but at the same time you got you always got to watch the expenses so it was um it was it, it was not as if i just had a a long runway i mean if 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 things didn't start turning out for me if i didn't get new clients um i was going to have some serious problems within within 4 to 6 months gotcha so i mean what was the the last day like i mean it seems like it was like a very easy transition but i mean like you was you doing anything special on your last day as kind of like a a, a part of this firm well, I packed up my stuff and uh, moved it. <laughs> no, so I uh, no, I, we I said bye to everybody. We had great, you know, conversations. But I think we all went out and had a beer, or went out to lunch, or or something like that. And and I honestly, though, Greg, I was just so stressed at that time about okay, I gotta. At the time, I was I had put down actually a deposit on. Uh, for for a lease at this place that's it was really an entrepreneurial kind of place where you basically rent out an office and it's oh, a like bunch a of different options. Yeah, like a co-working space and you shared conference rooms. It was really cool. And then my wife said to me, she said, you know, Steve, who I used to work for, when I originally was going to, you know, I had made, I'd made that deal with who I was originally just going to go share space with, he had this really cool office space in this area by a park and it was just really cool. And, and, and she said, you know, you loved, you, you really like him. You loved you know, the people who he worked with, why don't you go see if he has any extra space and see if you can share space with him? And I go, yeah, I think I already burned that bridge. I don't want to go, go back and do that. And she said, oh no, you should definitely do that. So I did. And I went back and I said, Hey, you know, here's the deal. I'm, I'm, I am officially launching out. Here's my start date. I've already put down a deposit ever at this other place, but I'd love to come share space with you if you got it. He was like, hell yeah. So that's the irony of the whole story is now we are sharing space in the same facility that we were going to share space in, well, you know, a year and a half earlier. Right, right. So, 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 so how are things going now? I mean, you're out on your own. How many of the clients, did all of your clients go with you? Yes. Every single one of my clients came and I actually took it upon myself at that time to, um, fire a couple of them because I wasn't particularly happy <laughs> with with the representation. Um, and literally, I did what I think I'm pretty... This is one thing I know I'm pretty good at um, is like I was telling you earlier, I mean, I, I am either all in or all out. And I told everybody I knew, this is what I'm doing. I was doing everything I can to get the word out and trying to say, hey, I'm hanging my own shingle and here's what I do. I do franchise law and entrepreneurial work. You know, I help people build great businesses. I work with entrepreneurs and just trying to really mold that. And what was fascinating was I just started getting calls from a it was people who I had worked with, clients that I had worked with, but then they would also tell other people. And so that would lead to another client here, another client there. And then as I was doing more and more stuff online with my blog, I would start to get calls from internet leads. I wasn't paying for any kind of SEO or anything. I've always sort of believed that, you know, you have to drive that with good content because who knows when Google is going to change their algorithm. Um, so I've never believed in sort of the paying, that kind of stuff. I started getting some calls from that and really just started getting into, into getting into the full swing of things. Um, now, what is, um, uh, uh, this is probably a really vague question, but like a, a client you bring on, 
what does that typically bring from a revenue standpoint? Is it like a monthly retainer type thing for most people or what's that? How does that work? Well, it's interesting you say that. I, I'm trying to go completely away from the billable hour because I hate the billable. You know, every attorney you probably know have heard of bills by the hour. Yeah, or yeah. A, lot of, a lot of them do. And I hate it because it incentivizes me to be less efficient and it incentivizes you to give me less information. So in other words, you know, you want me to get it done as quickly as possible and as cheaply as possible. Whereas for me to make any money, I want to get it done as slowly as possible, <laughs> which right. is not, you know, I mean, obviously you don't do that, but that's the sort of the inherent conflict of the billable hour. So, um, I do have, I started off with, with my clients, um, where most of them were still on the billable hour, mm -hmm. but there were some that I had on monthly retainers and some on flat fees. And so now I'm in the process of, of going almost exclusively to flat fees and monthly retainers. Um, and, and, but you'd be surprised. Some people still want the billable hour, which I'm, that's fine. So I still have the, the billable hour rate, but the, every client's a little bit different. I mean, the, the average, um, I can't even say what the average client would be because I'm representing, I'm representing individuals who are buying businesses, but I'm also representing businesses that are growing their businesses. Um, and what, one thing I am trying to do though, is to, um, convert people over to more of a monthly retainer type package. Because here's, here's the thing that I've sort of realized for myself is that one of the re one of the things I don't like about the traditional practice of law is that it's always, I feel like a fireman. So in other words, people call me when they have fires that they need to be put out. Right. Nobody ever plans for stuff. And the reality is 85 to 90% of problems can be avoided if you're proactive. Right. And totally. I really enjoy working with entrepreneurs as they're to help them build a foundation for their business and then to help them grow that business so that they can scale either through franchising, licensing, or some other growth model. But even if they're not interested in franchising, they all benefit from franchise-like systems to run their businesses, makes them more efficient, makes them more profitable. So I'm trying to set up arrangements where I work hand-in-hand as a trusted outside advisor, and I tell my clients, look, this is going to make you a lot more money. I mean, you... You can wait until the last minute and call me when a problem comes up, but to me, that's just a bad way to spend your money on legal fields. Why not? Let's do it along the way and proactively protect you. So that's where I'm going with with my practice. So, I mean, what's been some of the what have been some of the challenges that you've you've had so far? I mean, you seem to have you brought clients with you. You've even fired some, um, and you know, it sounds like things are going fairly smoothly. I mean, what has been the biggest challenge, you know, since you've gone out on your own? The biggest challenge, there's two big, big challenges by far, and I'm sure every business faces this, okay? Um, cash flow crunches. And what I mean by cash flow crunches are this. Even if you have revenue coming in, like I have revenue coming in, but I have receivables that are out there. And I, I try a lot of different ways. You know, I do stuff where people pay half up front or people pay all up front or I, you know, I take credit cards. I do all that stuff. But what happens invariably that I didn't fully anticipate is that the, the consistency of the cash coming in has to be perfect to deal with the cash flow going out. 
And so on a monthly basis, there are always times where it's sort of like, ooh, wow, I, I need to have sort of something to float me by. You know, because I've got this money going out and this money's coming in, but it's not in yet. And so you have a cash crunch. That's been a huge um, uh, issue. Not, I mean, just a problem. It's, it's, it's just a glaring issue of, wow, okay, so that, this is what people are talking about when they talk about cash flow crunches. That's not so what, are you, what, are you, what have you been doing to try to, to fix that? So what I've been doing is, uh, well, first of all, from I've, I've, I have a um, credit card company that whenever I sign somebody up, I give them the option to pay. I have a link that I send to them and they can pay online. Um, I have been charging at least with my flat fee clients, I charge 50, 50% upfront and then 50% immediately at the end of the service. But then with the monthly um, retainer type clients, you can kind of do it on a recurring uh, recurring basis. And so you know there's the predictability of when the cash is going in. Now, that's one of the reasons I want to switch to that model even more so is it's a benefit to the client for sure, but it's a benefit to me. Right, totally. You know, it's a benefit to me, you know, and and it's less about how much time I'm spending and billing by the hour and more about, okay, here's Here's a monthly payment. Here's what it's going to do. It's going to cover all your legal and I'm going to help you with the business stuff. And I'm going to know when it's coming in and how much is coming in consistently each and every month. That's my only, uh, that's my only way around it other than getting a business loan um, or using some other means to float the cash. Um, but you know, when you're a young business – uh, even if you're starting off well and you're doing well, it's still very difficult to get a to get a business loan, um, and and so you know that that's a huge huge issue. I think the second more it, the second issue is just dealing with. I looked at my first year in business, and I bet you I spent fifty five fifty percent of my time on administrative and managerial tasks, and. So I'm really trying to get better at that. I mean, I have a virtual assistant um, who's been amazing, um, who works for me. I have two other. Where, where are they based? Uh, she's based in Maine. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, she was one of um, Jamie Tardy's uh, virtual assistants, and then um, she's fantastic. Um, and I've got, I've got another person here locally who works remotely on some stuff for me. And then I just um, brought on somebody else um, to do some project type work. And then I work with other attorneys. If I, if I get overloaded with stuff, I have contract attorneys that I can go to who, who can kind of come in and, 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 and help me. But a big challenge, one of the things I'm trying to figure out for the future is virtual assistants are amazing and you can do a lot of stuff. I'm still not fully convinced that I don't need a right-hand person here in my office, mm. you know, because there's this, there's the stuff that comes up during the day where it's, a, it's like an internal conversation that I have with myself of, okay, I can put together an email and I can explain this and, or I could just do it myself real quick. Well, if somebody was in my office, I could just walk down and just go, here you go. <laughs> you know, take, I'm really, I really tried to make a concerted effort to, focus on my strengths and have everything else be outsourced because I'm really giving, I really feel like I'm giving up a lot. I mean, 40 to 50% of my time on administrative and managerial tasks, I mean, my time could be much better spent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
Do you do you feel like since you've been on your own, you've been working more hours? No question. And, how, and then, so how do, how has that played into the wife and kids? It's been a challenge. I mean, it's my my wife's been really understanding. I I more have a guilt about it. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I have real guilt about it. I mean, you know, the nice thing is I have flexibility. So, um, you know, I can, I, we were talking about this the, a week or so ago. Um, I don't, do you know Andy Traub? Traub? Uh, I do not. Okay. Well, he, he's a guy, um, uh, I heard him, he was interviewed, uh, somewhere and he had, he had basically said how he, he had asked his wife and I did the same thing with my wife. I said, if you had one thing that you could you know, have control over in my business and my time in my business, what would it be? She's like, I would love for you to be able to come home during the week between four and five so that you can spend a couple hours, have dinner with the kids, have dinner with us. And then you can go back to work, go in the basement, do whatever you want, but have that consistent time. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm really going to try to do that. Um, and I, I, I have, but I haven't been as successful as, as, you know, it started off great. I did it for the first week and then it's really about not only training, um, it's about retraining myself for my own schedule and then also being able to just lock down and, and, and train clients and so forth that during this period of time, I'm not going to be available. Um, so I have, but I had not been very good about that. I mean, I would say that, I, I work a lot more hours. I probably don't usually get home until seven or eight o'clock at night. Oh wow! And what does that does that? I feel like that would play. That wouldn't fly for me. No, no, it's really <laughs> no. That's why it's changing. It's it's changing. I mean, the one thing I am, I think I am good at is obviously weekend time. I spend a ton of time um, with the family, but I don't want to. Is I don't. I didn't set out to be an entrepreneur and have my own business so I could. N- miss out on more time with my kids, right? I mean, that's what I always say to myself. Um, so it's actually a goal of mine. And I am trying to, I'm being intentional with it to basically say, okay, I am going to be home for this period of time. So I at least get the two to three hours every single day. And if I have to go back, I have to go back. I mean, I take my my one daughter to school Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So we get that morning time together. But I really want to build a business that is obviously profitable and and a good business that I enjoy and that works well, but it's got to work well with my lifestyle too. And that's been a huge, huge uh, personal challenge to do. Again, I think it also ties back into my own, whether you want to call it a flaw or I think it's a strength and a flaw, is that I am an all or nothing kind of guy. Like I go, I go full out. So what does that mean? It means I work. I mean, I really am always thinking about it. I'm always, you know, working. I don't do a very good job at home of, you know, I'm on my computer a lot working on stuff. So I've got a lot of things I've got to <laughs> I've got to really work on on my end, but the beauty of it is is that it's doable. So I don't have to I don't have to go to anybody else to ask permission. And I hear you. that's a great thing. That's a great thing is that I I just have to make the changes myself and implement them. Okay, so um, if you had to, well, for, I should tell us where people can find out about, more about you. Well, you can go to uh, Indy, uh, which is I N D Y uh, franchiselaw.com. So, IndyFranchiseLaw.com. 
Um, I'm also, I've also got a uh, second non-legal business that, that, that ties into the franchise work that I do called Franchise Euphoria. The site's not up yet, but it's going to be FranchiseEuphoria.com. So there's going to be a bunch of uh, good stuff coming out of that here in the next two to three months where we... Tell us what, what's that going to be about? So it's really cool. So um, the podcast opened me up. My, my, I have a podcast called Franchise Euphoria. And I launched that podcast six, seven months ago. It's it's been amazing, you know. There's it's it's on iTunes. I think it's it's the top or one of the top rated um, franchise podcasts on iTunes, and um, so it's opened me up to this wider network of people. And so now, with Franchise Euphoria being an actual business, it's going to be strategy, education, and consulting, sort of in the for the online and digital world. And so we're going to be doing it through. We're putting together a website and possibly a membership type community where we're going to be providing a ton of resources for um, growth-minded entrepreneurs, people who are interested in franchising, people who are interested in growing their businesses. And so me and um, a partner that I have in the business are now working on putting all those strategies together, which I'm really excited about because it opens it opens it up to the world for me. I mean, my legal work is somewhat jurisdictionally limited because I'm licensed in Indiana. And, um, and so I'm really excited about combining sort of the legal work I do with the business side of things. So uh, quickly tell us how the podcast has helped like your business. I'm interested from like a, from a law perspective, you know, you said seven or eight months you've been doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what would you say that has done for your business? Um, well, first of all, I've, I've picked up clients from it. So people who have listened to the podcast have called me and I said, Oh, where'd you hear about me? Well, your podcast. And from that perspective, you add, you have immediate credibility, right? So they listen to you, they listen to your voice and they feel like they know you. I mean, it's a, it's a very personal kind of, kind of deal. So from that perspective, it's, it's been great. It's been, I think my podcast, it's been downloaded in, I think 50, 50 countries. Um, and so I get emails from people and I get phone calls and, 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 and stuff and, and, and people who are just interested in, in franchising. I've had uh, several people, which is just like such a great feeling said, Hey, I am seriously considering about buying a franchise and you have been the number one resource through your podcast in walking me through that process and in helping awesome. me and thank you for that. So that's just been amazing. But the, it, you know, it, what's funny is, Greg, after I launched, I launched my podcast and literally like two weeks later, I got a call from a guy in Canada who has been in the franchise world for 15, 20 years. And he said, hey, I listened to your podcast. I really enjoyed it. That led me to your blog. I really like your writing style. And hey, I'm launching this new business and we're hiring 15 professional people who are familiar with the industry, the franchise industry, to write for us. And would you be interested? We pay. We'll pay six months in advance, all that kind of stuff. So I said, I said, oh, sure. And so he, he said... He said, okay, well, who do I, you know, who do I make a checkout to? And I said, I'll just make it out to Franchise Euphoria LLC. Well, at the time, I knew that that name was available, but I didn't have a company that was called Franchise Euphoria LLC. And I th- thought to myself, if he's really going to send me a check, you know, then I'll set up a company when I get it. So sure enough, about a week or so later, I got a check in the mail made out to Franchise Euphoria. And that's what actually launched Franchise Euphoria into an actual business. That's awesome. <laughs> so if you say, what has podcasting done for me? 
that's been incredible. I will tell you on a, on a personal level as well. I mean, uh, getting to know you know people like you and John Lee Dumas and and all these other people who I've met through these these mastermind communities, um, and just online in general has been absolutely amazing. And you realize there's so many entrepreneurs out there, and th- you can really kind of bounce things. Everybody brings their own experiences. Everybody mm-hmm. brings their own expertise to the table. And there's there's just this total power in community. And so that's been such a huge part of it. And I, I really wouldn't have launched my podcast because I kept thinking about it, thinking about it, thinking about it, had I not joined um, John Dumas's uh, Fire Nation Elite. Uh, mm-hmm. And then had I not also worked with Jamie Tardy because she had a company called, I think she still does, called Duncast, where they take the, they basically say, hey, look, just we'll, we'll work on your artwork We'll put your episodes together. We'll get you an intro and an outro. We'll get you going. And for the first three months of my podcast, I recorded them and just sent them off to her and they finalized everything. Now we do it in-house. Um, but that was, in- that was vital to getting me going um, because I kept saying to myself, I don't have time. How am I going to do all this? I don't even know what to do. But slowly but surely, taking those steps to becoming a part of a mastermind and then reaching out to Jamie on the Duncast and just figuring out saying, hey, if I, I really want to do this, I have to do it. And there's no better time than now um, to do it. So it's just opened up so many different things. It's been by far the best thing I've ever done, better than a blog, better than better than any kind, anything that I've done. I mean, it's fun to do. I'm meeting new people all the time. And Love so it's it. just been fantastic. So if you could go back and talk to Josh, you know, while he was still at that firm, what kind of advice would you have given him to maybe make the transition any more, any more smooth? I mean, it was pretty silky smooth from, from the story, you know, so far. But I mean, if you could give him advice what what do you think you would tell him? Well, I think for myself, I would have um, I would have had a much clearer vision um, in terms of how I was going to actually like what technology tools I was going to use. You know, in other words, because I'm trying to do this in a very efficient, low overhead way, and I have tried out so many different tools, and it's gotten me distracted a lot of the times. You know, that whole bright shiny object syndrome. There's a lot of bright shiny objects out there, and I wish I would have been more attuned to the idea that really you don't need to pay attention to all that stuff. You need to really focus on the core of your business and taking care of your clients, and all that other kind of stuff will take care of itself. But yeah, that's, that's a good one. (laughs) I like that. Pay attention to the core and take care of your customers. Yeah, that's it. I mean, seriously, I mean, seriously, Greg, I mean, there's so much, there's so much stuff out there. It can be overwhelming. Um, there's so many, you know, everything promises, oh, this is going to make your life so much easier. You're never going to have to worry about this. And oh, all you have to do is use this. And look, I love technology, but the problem is it can be so overwhelming because you just don't know exactly how it's going to work for your business. So you have to figure out for yourself, what are my most immediate needs? What is the core of what I'm doing? And before I dive in and start trying out all this different stuff, maybe I should reach out to somebody who's actually done it. You know, who's actually been there. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, Josh, thank you so much for spending your time with us and and sharing your story. We really appreciate it. We'll link up to your site, your blog, 
uh, your podcast, everything in the show notes at greghickman.me forward slash Josh Brown. So thanks again. Thanks, Greg. Really had a good time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to head on over to greghickman.me forward slash newsletter to subscribe to the private email newsletter where I share exactly how I've grown my business, Mobile Mix, to the point where I could leave my full-time job. Take care.